Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Today is going to be our next to the last talk, a workshop. Uh, we'll end next week. Uh, I was um, going to do 12-week series, uh, but we're going through the steps a little quicker. And uh, I realized the other day that I have done in the past seven months about 23, 22, 23 workshops here, not counting the speaking I've done in other places, and uh, I'm getting tired. And today we're going to do our regular hour meeting, close, and then do 30 minutes afterwards of more questions. And that's about it for this week. And next week we'll continue and conclude. my awareness of boundaries is still affected and I have overdone it. And last week I was really feeling, and I want to share this with you all. I gave away more than I had. Very important concept for me over the years. See, people will think Harvey's saying all this. But what I'm giving you is what was given to me freely. I'm giving to you all freely. But I'm only giving you what was put into me. You don't want me. (laughs) Now, the true me, okay, whatever that is. But, and I felt really empty after last week. And it took me till the next morning to get to more meetings, to do things, to fill back up. So if ever you go into, as we discuss in our first few workshops, the insanity of thinking you got it or this is you doing it. Be careful. This is about what we'll discuss, hopefully, in the 11 steps, um, the We're channels in the prayer of St. Francis. We're merely channels passing it on. We just pass it on. 
And it's such a freeing experience. And I was able to write Daniel, hey, I gave away more than I had. And telling myself my truth is so freeing for me. Uh, I will never be cured. And what is part of my incurable ism, sexaholism? It's grandiosity. It's where the ego is telling me lies. Oh, you could do this and you could do that and you could. Nope. My ego is not my best friend. <laughs> It happens to be my enemy. Whenever I'm thinking, I'm behind enemy lines. And that's a good introduction for our 10th and 11th step today. And next week, we'll conclude with the 12th step. Um, as you know, the title has been entering the steps through a different door. And the different door I'm giving, hopefully, that I was given are bigger concepts, not the details. The details are in the book. I'm telling you about different foods from different countries. It's your job to open the cookbook to see the exact ingredients to make it. You know, my wife and I have gotten hooked on these South Korean soap operas. And in South Korea, they have this local dish. It's called kimchi. I couldn't even pronounce it, kimchi. And they're always eating kimchi. And so I looked it up, and then I looked up how you make it. <laughs> it's fermented cabbage with spices. But they ferment it in special ways, and uh, it's just brilliant. And then it took me weeks and weeks to find somewhere where I could taste kimchi. And I had my, a love affair with kimchi. <laughs> and that's the big book. <laughs> We're telling you about this wonderful food. It's been fermented over since the 1930s. It's your job to open the book and follow the cooking instructions. It's that simple. But no, we want to think and analyze analysis paralysis. No, we don't analyze in this program. We utilize. We don't analyze, we utilize. 
and for many people in who have other languages they're more comfortable with in this meeting. It would be fun if you all could use those terms in your own language to get them to rhyme like ours does. We don't analyze, we utilize. Analysis paralysis. Thinking paralyzes an addict. This your thinking with the brain that got you into the problem to begin with. <laughs> That's the insanity. Thinking we could solve the problem with the instrument that caused the problem. And so we get these steps that help us deflate that concept of our ego, of our thinking. Now, is this a cult? Where you're taught not to think? Well, what is a cult? First of all, to have a cult, you need a cult leader. And usually that cult leader makes big bucks somehow. <laughs> no one in AA is making money that I know of off of AA. And we don't have leaders. We don't. We don't have leaders. I just recently finished an article they've asked us to write about how Nashville grew for this coming essay. And one of the things that I wrote on why Nashville grew, as well as it did one of quite a few different things, was that after a few years, I stopped going to intergroup meetings. Nashville grew because I was also able to let go of it and not control, try to control it all. You get a group leader in your local areas and you're going to have a tough time growing rapidly. Because we have no leaders. We just have trusted servants. So what does a 10th step do for us? This, I spoke about it last week, but I did not speak about this particular issue. What is different between the 10th step and the fourth step? Because we're taking our inventory in the 10th step. Why is that 10th step different? One word, only one word, promptly, promptly. In our fourth step, we take our time, we write it, we then tell our sponsor about it. We uh, do the, then we do the sixth and seventh step on it. The tenth step says promptly admit when we were wrong. Promptly. So I would call my sponsor up, 
telling him how upset I was about something that happened that day. And he'd say to me, what time did it happen? And I'd say, oh, about nine this morning. And he'd say, what time is it now? And I'd say four o'clock afternoon. And he'd say, is that promptly? No. Promptly means Chanel, quickly, promptly. When I'm wrong, it doesn't say if I'm wrong. When I'm wrong, it doesn't say if I'm wrong. Because if I am uncomfortable, it can never be about the other person. If it is, you're in trouble. Because you can't ever change the other person. Or the situation. Only thing we're able to change the steps, hopefully, is ourselves. So our axiom in the 12 and 12 says, whenever I'm wrong, whenever I'm disturbed, the problem is in me. Now, what does in me mean? In my thinking. In my thinking. Wow, what a concept. A lot of times, my wife will be wrong. And I'll be right on a certain issue. But I end up needing to make an amend. Why? It wasn't the content that was the issue. It was the tone of voice I used. The talking down to her. The way I dealt with the conversation. And I will be uncomfortable until I clean my side of the street. Heavy stuff. We talked about the different times of doing inventories in your 10th step. But what is the clue to the 10th step for me? The, the clue is I get uncomfortable. The clue is I'm arguing in my head about how wrong you are and how right I am. Well, if the situation has already happened and I'm still arguing in my head, Something's up. I'm not going in to see my side of the street. 
and promptly admitting when I was wrong. Very simple. It's so simple that it's so difficult. This we're so programmed to need to prove we're right. Very, very difficult, that 10th step, to promptly admit when I'm wrong. And to continue to take personal inventory. A lot of times I'm talking to my sponsees, and in the middle of it, I say, you and I have just lost. We've just lost. I'm taking your inventory. That's a one-way street. If I'm taking my sponsee's inventory and telling him where his problem is in a situation, I've already lost. Because the sponsee is not taking the time to bring to me his his side of the street. He tends to bring to me their side of the street. What the other person has done wrong. I have heard more about wives' problems how wives mess up and don't do it well and what they, how they treat their husbands. Very seldom do, does a conversation start with this is what I just did to my wife or anyone else. Now we get to the 11th step. Wow. What happens at a meeting? Have you ever thought about it? Why can you go in to a meeting and feel so bad and so obsessed with all kinds of thoughts and then you leave and something, you just feel better. Or someone calls you on the phone to tell you the problems they're having, and you get off the phone and somehow you feel better. What is that about? It's about meditation. While you're at a meeting, when people are sharing, you're listening, if not all the time, a lot of the time to what they're sharing, and you're not necessarily thinking. In essence, you've had an hour of a meditative experience. When you leave that room, quite often 
you say, what happened in that room? What is it I'm experiencing in that room that's different? We're in a meditative state. Regretfully, my meditative state starts the moment they do the readings. I never hear what reading. <laughs> Somehow, my brain shuts that part off. But the minute people start sharing, wow, I'm in it. And it's real hard what people call you with their own issues in the program to not have to listen to what they're saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm disconnected because I have an iWatch and an iPhone that's vibrating and it's my same sponsee who calls every time we're having the workshop. <laughs> every time. <laughs> if you don't laugh, you cry in this program. By the way, talking about laughing, I want to read you something. We have been, AA Big Book, page 132. We have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect. Let's change the word to lust in its worst aspect. But we aren't a glum lot if newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is sexaholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of our past. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. Wow. The 11th step. 
We are powerless in step one. By step 11, we get the power back. We get the power to not seduce others for sex and lust. But we get the power to help other people get the miracle in their lives that have happened in our lives. The 11th step is representing getting the power back. What good is prayer and meditation if we're still in ego thinking we could do everything for everyone and cure every sexaholic. No, first we have those 10 steps that help deflate the ego so that our prayer and meditation can help us and others not to have to be powerless over acting in or acting out today. Same thoughts will occasionally hit me, but today I have the power to let them go and not to act on them. If you think this disease goes away, I'm living proof at age 81 after 37 years. Crazy thoughts still come in, but the difference is I'm not a glum lot. I start laughing. I say, I can't believe that thought still pops in every now and then. But I have the power to laugh at it rather than participate in it. I was sharing yesterday, we have weekly uh, sponsee Zoom meeting I have for my sponsees and some others. And I was kind of talking about the danger of equating this program, especially with religion, In religion, a lot of times the goal is not to have some of these crazy thoughts hit us, to have a pure mind, absolute purity. You're going to be very disappointed. (laughs) This is a chronic disease. My mind ain't pure all the time. But boy, it just goes in and goes out. Comes in, goes out. I have the power today not to act on it. That's simple. One day at a time. Um, Let's... um, Let's talk for just a few more minutes about meditation. Um, I want you to know that 
I've shared this sometimes before. I was a total failure at this part of the program. And yet here I am. (laughs) I could not meditate. Wasn't part of my program. I had sponsors who did not push meditation. It wasn't part of their program. And every now and then, I would read about meditation and mindfulness. Never got it. I'd do it for about two weeks, and that was it. And this went on for about 25 years in my recovery. Who you're seeing today is a guy who didn't officially meditate for about 25 years. One day, I got so angry in Nashville that they brought in a non-NA speaker at a conference from AA to speak and to do a workshop on meditation. The guy was good. And after the meetings, I went up to my sponsee who wanted to meditate and I said to him I know me I'm I'm all gung-ho I'm going to do it for two weeks and then stop will you be an accountability partner for me I will contact you every day after I meditate for 20 minutes and he said I'll do it with you. I'll do five minutes. Great. After about three months, I mean, he was my sponsee. I was too embarrassed not to do it. <laughs> my ego wouldn't let me not do it. <laughs> I was, he was my accountability partner. After about three months, I called him. I said, I no longer have to contact you every day. My life has changed. And for the past, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, I've been meditating. And gradually, I built it up to an hour a day. Does that mean I don't pray? Uh, I was thinking about it this morning, and thinking's dangerous, but I asked myself the question, and then the answer came. My entire day is basically in prayer. But it's not the prayer that I was taught to do. My prayers are constant gratitude to God. Thank you, God. I mean, I start my morning with 30 things I count on my fingers, gratitude lists, every morning. As soon as my eyes open, I'm doing gratitude lists. 
throughout the day, my sponsor would say, Harvey, God is very important. I mean, it's very busy. God is very busy. I mean, this God's taking care of multi, multi universes into infinity. He said, God's very busy. He doesn't need complicated prayers. He loves two prayers especially because they're so short. <clears throat> One prayer is thank you, God. The other prayer is God help me. Help me. My day is a day of prayer. I thank him for finding a parking spot. <laughs> I'm thanking him that I woke up in the morning alive. I walk in my apartment throughout the day. I thank him for the lovely apartment. I move to Florida, the palm trees. I go out in the street. It's, it's like paradise for me, thanking him all the time. But prayer is not enough for me because prayer is my talking to God. When do I hear a power greater than me? A power that's living in me. A power that is Everything or nothing. How do I do it when I'm either talking in prayer or my mind is going with this problem or that problem or this thought and that thought? So it is during this quiet time in my meditation. Even though my mind is busy at times, I let it flow in and flow out, do my breathing. It's amazing what comes to me during meditation. I mean, I, I'm shocked myself. I never get more surprised. It's bypassing my consciousness and my un unconsciousness, and somehow it comes out spontaneously. Try it, you might like it. Don't expect anything from an individual meditation session. That's your ego wanting results. This is beyond having results. And wherever we look, we find things like saying, be still and know I am God. Or the still small voice, the whisper. Try it. You might like it one day at a time to improve our conscious contact.
And I want to say something about that word, conscious contact. See, we're always contacted. This concept of duality, of God there and I'm here and we're separate, that concept of I found God. Well, in AA, they laugh all the time when people say, I found God. And someone will yell out, I never knew he was lost. How do you find something that's always there? You merely get conscious of its presence. And when we have moments of our brain being quieter, we have this opportunity to improve our conscious contact. But we're already contacted. Already contacted. One day at a time, one moment at a time, my sponsor would say to me, it only gets better, Art. He'd say the outside could turn to crap, but it gets better. Inside, our attitudes, our thinking, and then there we are, seeing things we've never seen before, that's already there. And that's the spiritual awakenings, which we'll talk more about next week. Thank you. Um, hi, Harvey. I greatly appreciate this. And uh, uh, I was actually going to ask a question relating to something, not 10 and 11, but um, I can reframe that. Uh, so uh, I love how you talk about. Um, the part of God that, that, or the aspect that God is in us all the time, and that um, we are uh, not looking for it, we are allowing ourselves to experience it. Um, and uh, I just wanted to express my appreciation for you doing that constantly, and how it is a uh, um, a very very wonderful reinforcement to something I believe dearly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sona, you have a question? Yes, I do. May I ask? Yes, please. Uh, hi, Harvey. Is my voice clear? Beautiful. Hear it fine. Good. Good, good. Uh, you know, uh, modern Persian poetry says, when you are rain, uh, the roof of temple, church, or tavern are the same for you. You know, I, I'm acquainted with program for 12 years. I have never read a, a book from beginning to end, but does uh, anywhere in big book, uh, there is expli explicitly uh, referred to religion. Uh, uh, what is this 
insistence on religion is is there in the book big book and um you know uh, i i have never read completely big book but i have a hafiz book which i am reading since 8 it is by my bedside uh, i read it early in the morning when i want to sleep uh, and it had survived my life through all my disasters in life uh, and i have complete faith in this book uh, I repeat again that sentence, that uh, poetry. When you are rain, uh, the roof of uh, temple, church, or tavern are the same for you. Uh, we are, our essence is of that true rain. Our essence is pure, as you said. Why insistence on religion? Um, you know, it's so fascinating, Sonia. Sponsi and I, just the other day, we were looking up the translation, the derivation of the English word religion, which naturally comes from the Latin word religio, and it merely means to bind, B-I-N-D, meaning to tie up, to connect you, to bind. Religion is institutions. Spirituality can be in an institution or it might not be in an institution. Uh, Spirituality could be in a tavern (laughs) or it might not be in a tavern. You could have some AA guy in a tavern trying to help some guy who's drinking. There you have some spirituality. Um, So the rain is what we're emphasizing in spirituality. We're not emphasizing the building. We're emphasizing the rain. Now, I want to give you a little history, and people might correct me if... Sometimes I make this up. But our program comes from AA. AA started in the Midwest, even though Bill W. came from New York City in the east of America. He couldn't get it started. So he went to the Midwest which is um, probably the distance maybe from England to Poland. He went pretty well far in the country and got involved with a group of Protestants who were involved in a Protestant offshoot called the Oxford Group. Now, it went very well, but when Bill went back to New York City months and months later, New York City was predominantly Catholic. It was not as many alcoholics who were Protestants as Catholics. And back then, many of you might be too young to remember it, but I certainly remember those days. 
Catholics were not allowed in any other house of worship back then easily. It just wasn't the thing. So Bill got into some problems because it was being considered a religion. So Bill had it, he was a salesman, an entrepreneur. He shifted gears quickly. And they started incorporating other things in it. He eliminated the four absolutes that were very religiously involved in purity, absolute love, absolute purity, etc. To make it more available to the people of New York City. Then came this character to New York City in the early years. He was an agnostic, an atheist even, who knows? And he refused to have the word God put in. And eventually they compromised with God as I understand. Now, things transition. Things transition. So when Bill wrote this, it was still being written by a lot of people with religious concepts. And the original AA group in the Midwest continued to call themselves the Oxford Group till almost 1941. Five, seven years, six years later. And there was a real division between the New York and there. So it is an evolving thing. But we keep things intact. Naturally, the word him and he doesn't fit us anymore. But we don't change the book. Just because, you know, it's 80 years Any country you come from, massive changes have happened in 80 years. So in the United States, many major things happened since 1935. Look what happened in Europe the past 80 years in India. New countries in the Mid-East, and just unbelievable changes. So we acknowledge this is a changing history, but it gets kind of dangerous to start changing the big book because where do you end changing it? How do you, where do you draw the lines? So, We keep things as they are. Now, an essay, it's a much bigger problem. It's an AA. (laughs) They call it sometimes the church of the (laughs) non-believers. The church of the non-believers. An essay, oh my God, we got super duper 
believers. The only problem is you forgot to believe in the disease model. So you're still doing the super-duper religious model for a disease. No matter, even though that other model didn't work for you, you still keep using it. So it's not that the program's against religion. The book, and certainly I get a lot from my religion, other people get from their religion, but I get so much more from my religion since I've been in AA and SA. That I'm getting an aspect of spirituality that I've discovered that then I could find within my own religion. But spirituality tends not to be taught in most of our religions. Religio, the rituals are taught. What can I tell you? This is only my opinion. I'm not talking for SA, not talking for AA. Only my opinion to respond to your your question. Now, how do we know this is a spiritual program? You're living proof. The amount of countries and religions that are represented in these meetings around the world is unbelievable. Unbelievable. How could it happen? Because we're connecting to the spirituality. We're connecting to our traditions that talk about unity, that talk about a loving God manifested in whatever framework you want to use, including if you want to use the doorknob as a god. No one's going to kick you out as long as you're not God. (laughs) You could be composed of God, but you're not God. Once you know you're not God, the opening becomes much easier to do the steps which can keep us sober. Not get us sober, keep us sober. Only thing that gets us sober is for the next 24 hours to put the plug in the jug and not to act out even if you're behind drops off. And if you can't do that, and you've tried time and again, you know it's time for a treatment center. And if you can't do a treatment center or medication, it's not that you're a failure, it's that the disease is too advanced for just everyday meetings. Just this morning, I was reading an article that Bill W., a lecture he gave to the American Medical Association, where he emphasized this disease aspect 
that the whole program is based on a disease model. I'm smiling. I could say this. I've been saying it for 10 weeks and before that by others. And you'll leave this meeting. And you'll get a rough thought in your head. And you'll go, oh, I just sinned. God's going to strike me dead. God's going to hurt my children. I just sinned in my head. It won't matter what I say at this meeting. You will go back. And how do I know that? Because that thought is still in my head. It is programmed so deep, cellularly. The sin model versus the disease model. And I have had only one solution to it. I say, God, there's that thought again. God, I can't go back there. Help me let go of that thought that this is a sin and I'm bad getting good and not sick getting well. My ego wants me to grab onto those programs that were instilled in me from the moment I could remember. They're cellular. I'll take them to my grave. but they don't have power over me as strongly anymore. They still have a little, but not as much. And thank goodness, thank God, that I've been able to let go of that one day at a time, let it just be a thought, and not give it hardly any power anymore. And the proof's in the pudding. I'm sober for 37 years doing the disease model, not the sin model. Man, you talk about religion. I sound like hell and fire and brimstone preacher here, man. <laughs> Oh, God. Next question. And then we'll close and continue after the closing. Go ahead, Jonathan. Thank you, Daniel, so much. And thank you, Harvey, very much for your service. Um, This may just be analysis paralysis, but I literally get confused and I would love to hear your experience, strength, and hope on you know, if I get upset, most of the time, who I get upset a bit about or at is this guy, not usually somebody else, although that happens too, obviously. And so my thought is, do I work a 10th step promptly when I'm upset at this guy instead of somebody out there? That's what I'd love your input on because I get confused. Thank you. 
Why not? Why not say, hey, I forgive you for going back to those old thoughts. The problem is in my mind. But usually that's not the basis. The basis, in my opinion, is one of our biggest addictions that gives us a lot of charge, excitement, energy, that's shame. Uh, The longer I'm sober and speak with enough and sponsor enough people, I realize shame is another addictive process that people really get off on it. And that it's like they're dying if they don't have it. A withdrawal system comes in. And that's why whenever I get that feeling of shame, I merely brush it off and get it so it's not an intellectualized experience. Just brush it off. This shame makes us uncomfortable. And when we're uncomfortable, statistically, you default back to your primary addiction, which is lust. And of all the things I think that get people relapsing is the shaming. And as Judson from the West Coast, originally from Nashville, would say, I am Judson, a good and worthwhile human being, worthy of recovery today. So I now have that imprinted in my cells too. Harvey, you're a good and worthwhile human being worthy of recovery today. Shame is giving the middle finger to the first step. You're saying, I don't have a disease. I'm just bad. We don't even say, I don't have a, I did a bad thing. We say, I am bad. In around the rooms, you know, I'll clean it up and won't use the word S-H-I-T. But we say um, guilt is I did something crappy and shame is I am crap. Big difference. Um, okay. Harvey, I'm so thank you so much. I'm very grateful that you brought up the topic of shame. I haven't heard you speak about this before, but I come to the conclusion with my own malady here that I am as addicted to shame as I am lust. I get a little taste of shame because this has probably been my pattern my whole life, and, and I want more. 
And uh, so, like you said, I have to nip that right in the bud. I get one little sniff of that and I want more and more. I don't know which came first, the shame or the less. Also, I'm so happy that you, uh, during the 10th step uh, discussion, you mentioned that, uh, you know, our tone of voice is sometimes what will lead to an amends. I had uh, somebody very wise tell me that uh, not only did I need to shut my mouth, but learn to shut my face. And I've been working on that forever. <laughs> very good. <laughs> good. And like you, <laughs> and like you, uh, we are not a glum lot. I've said many times is my favorite sentence in the whole book. Thanks so much, Harvey. It's one of the only places in the big book, in the family afterwards, I think. It says, we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. One of the few times where it uses the word sure, S-U-R-E. And yet in our program, it's getting better now, but you go into many SA meetings, you think you're in a funeral home. There's rarely laughter or joking, everything's so serious. That's all ego, you know thinking we're the worst is pure ego. Thinking we're the worst is just like thinking I'm the best. It's ego. You're really saying I'm the best of the worst. So shame is a real ego um, enemy, not enemy, ally, actually, ally, it's an ally, not an enemy. There's a question that came in on the chat. And um, by the way, I just posted a link to um, my folder and all the talks and workshops on shame, including a whole inventory that was uh, built out by Mark from Nashville for those that want to do more shame work. Um, uh, the question that came in on the chat was, um, even when I'm sober, I have no peace of mind all the time, noise and restlessness. What should I do? I don't know enough about it to give you a clear answer, but many people in this program have needed, have dual diagnosis and cannot get their brain, even after meditating, to slow down. And some people need to consult their physician or, or psychiatrist. Um, addiction is usually 
many times accompanied, we call it comorbidity, with other mental problems too. And if you're staying sober inside and out, you're not lusting all the time, you're staying sober, and it's been months and months and years, and your brain still speeded up as can be, you consult a physician. Can you imagine if you had a guess now that Bill W. might have had bipolar disorder? He had that extended depression for years. The program wasn't taking it away. Yeah. Today he probably... And then when he was feeling good, man, he was putting out these books like popcorn. Many of us have a lot of OCD. I know I do. We have PTSD, many of us. We, we tend to live life with blinders. And it's very hard in our spiritual awakening next week to take blinders off to see many other aspects of ourselves. You know, I laugh all the time. I, if I had a guess, I have ADD. <laughs> but my wife is just like me. We wouldn't know <laughs> what it was. We're both so hyperactive. And our kids won't go on vacations with us because they get exhausted. <laughs> and many of you know, I mean, we, we zap to Germany and then the next week we're in Poland and the next week we're here and there. <laughs> it's a glimpse into next week the beauty of this program, the awakening, is the process of taking off your blinders, of getting them removed. You don't take them off, they get removed. And then this magic word, I don't know if I'll remember next week to mention it, to Embrace ourselves. What's the opposite of shaming? It's embracing. Just embracing me. What you see is what you got. 
that's okay. God doesn't make crap. If we're created in God's image, we are who we are, and we're beautiful human beings worthy of recovery today. Next question. Okay, go ahead, uh, Elaine. Hi, uh, Harvey. Yeah, I'm. Thank you very much for everything. I'm some some sentences of yours is going in myself like whoo, you know, and I'm I'm very touched by this and for, for your experience. But I'm uh, I'm I'm I'm. I have some of the old uh, amends to do. I have to travel, and then I finish with my old amends, hopefully. But I'm, I know that there will pop in some people. I, I, I did already from the past. I said, "Wow, he's come." There's another one coming on the list, you know. But 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 I'm I'm so far finished, and uh, but and I'm also in the step ten. And I was very happy that you said so. That there's something in your voice how how you say things, you know. Then you have to do an amend, and so do I. Did I? But I I I said no. I could not do an amend. I have to do the inventory bef before because underneath this strong voice or or harsh word, words. There are some more, you know, but I didn't was not conscious about it, and so I, I had the pleasure to have three people with me together. We we are discussing this amend, and they came. I I got not real limits uh, uh, of mine, you know. There are so many very complex things underneath, and I cannot do promptly. Sometimes that's it, you know, my amends because I had. I have to sort out things and I have to be conscious about that needs time too. I just want to, to say this, but perhaps more and more, I'm happy to be more promptly and even better. I do. I have not to do an amend because I see it before I do it, you know, <laughs> the, the hurt, you know, but well, I want only to thank you and to show me, show, show my appreciation. Thank you very much. Um, I think some of the worst, the things I make amends for most quickly is that voice tone because I don't have to analyze it. It doesn't take analyzing. It takes later on, I could see the patterns and all, I could take time to do that in an inventory. But then and there, hey, Ephraim, how about dressing? <laughs> Let's get Ephraim off. Okay. <laughs> oh, well. I once had that happen myself, so I'm aware. <laughs> Don't answer phone calls in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, goodness. 
Um, so those don't take a whole lot to know when I call it making my wife feel like a piece of shit with my voice tone. I can, now I could hear it when I do it. Took me years and years. But I'm also recognizing how she freezes up and her reaction. Uh, I also have another type of promptly admitting it. When talking to my sons, one in particular, he'll tell me something and I'll start telling him, oh, you better do this or that. And I'll promptly say to him, son, erase what I just said. I went into my disease of fear that I put onto you and might contaminate you with my disease of fears. And it's not real. It was part of my disease. It's another form of my promptly admitting when I'm wrong. Now, Many of you are going to get this program, if not all of you, if you stay sober, faster than it's taken me. I mean, you all say, oh, Harvey this and Harvey that. Man, I've been doing this for almost 38 years in AA and 37 years in SA. And... You know, we had just a few of us at the beginning, and it's just taken me a long time. The wonderful part is I know it's never ending. And as long as I don't get Alzheimer's too soon (laughs) or die too soon, man, what an adventure. It never stops. These enlightenments, these awakenings never stop. Now, to go back to Elaine, the question, once you see that when you hear your voice doing that to someone, that it's not a negative but an awakening that you've discovered something new about yourself, you get joyous. We've been taught so much to not to admit when we're wrong or what will people think of us or it shows we're less than. It's an awakening. I see a new aspect. Get a little pain at first, but it's like when you, you know, cut open an abscess, you get the relief of the pus coming out, and it's an awakening. It's a new part of me I'm seeing. So, so many people get frightened of seeing it when it's an awakening, and quite often, 
a sponsee will get annoyed at me or say something pointedly to me, I will prove he's wrong and then call him right back or write him to say, that's my old ways. You just taught me something new about myself. Thank you. Hard to do, but so freeing once I do it. Okay, um, I guess the last question is coming from me. Um, and I really appreciate the, um, the the tone of voice as well. It's very relevant to my recovery and the message of promptly, which I'm very grateful that my sponsor always points out the promptly. Um, and I had an example just a few days ago where my voice inflection changed and I was frustrated, stormed out. And within 10 minutes after breathing, I went back upstairs and immediately apologized for my side of the street. Irrelevant of how right or wrong I was. And it was so freeing. Just, you know, I was wrong for getting frustrated and raising my voice. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you about the word power at the end of the 11th step. Um, because I've heard about it and I've also talked about it quite a bit. And obviously we don't get the power back over our lust. We'll never have the power over lust. But I wondered if you could, in a few words explain or express from your experience what the power is that we do get in the 11th step. Daniel, I do have power over lust today. I get an inappropriate thought. They happen less and less, but I bet I still get one or two a day. I get an inappropriate thought. And I have the power today to use a tool of the program to stop it from going from an inappropriate thought to a motion picture that is what lust is to me. The first photograph is not lust. I was fortunate that just taught me this over and over. He said that first moment of thought, that photograph, is how God made you. What you do with that is up to you. We cannot stop that first thought. But then again, we can't stop any first thought. It's not only a sexual thought. In my case, the first photograph is I'll see someone naked who's dressed. That's what my brain's done since I've been a little boy. I had a Sunday school teacher like that. That's what my brain does. But if I make a motion picture out of it, that's the lust, and that produces a first drink, and that's a phenomenon of craving. Now, in our program, we're so busy talking about sexual things that we minimize what Roy says also about relationships. 
and dependency relationships and love addictions. So quite often people miss thinking that first thought about helping a woman or helping some guy, some innocuous thought, in quotes, can be made into a motion picture, into a scenario. No, I need to use my tools for even things like that. My disease will use anything to try to pull me in. So I have a saying in my life, it's lust until proven otherwise. When in doubt, do without. Until you speak to your sponsor. This comes up in another topic that's not frequently talked about is wet dreams. Wet dreams. Is the person going to bed having sexual explicit thoughts is one thing. Then don't be surprised if you get a wet dream. But if you go to bed at night and it's the furthest thing that comes to your mind, it's nowhere close to your mind, and you have a wet dream that night, okay, you had a wet dream. It's physiological. Same thing, you know, Jeff's, the first essay book was written. It always talked about um, a loss of sobriety from wet dream. Uh, By the second printing, it changed to a possible loss because Jess would say, Hardly any of us ever had wet dreams. We were too busy masturbating to ever have a wet dream. We only knew about wet dreams when we sobered up. You'd say that's a sign of recovery. (laughs) Don't recommend them, but they happen. Certainly it happened to me during my almost two years of total abstinence. Uh, We have a lot of things we don't talk about in the program that need to be spoken about. This is side note. We don't talk about sex and marriage. We rarely talk about wet dreams. We rarely talk about fantasies. We rarely talk about romantic, addictive thinking. Many topics are bypassed through detours. And I'm going to say a little surprising thing, but in that article I wrote, and it asked, you know, how did we do it in Nashville? And I even quoted, I still have it because I just sent the article in before this meeting. Nashville for decades used what we call 
the sobriety imperative. It goes all part, this is page 198 of the essay book. All participants in the first part of the meeting will be members of SA who have been sexually sober for 30 days or more. We do this to help the tone of recovery and program. After that, any member may share. The style over the years have gone away from that model. So the meetings start about who's masturbated, who's gone to pornos, and who's had this and that. It starts in the problem, and it never gets to other topics. In Nashville, we did that essay, uh, Sobriety Imperative, for decades. And then we had enough recovery in the fellowship where it just kind of went by the wayside. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.